0: A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurca. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie.
1: Today's guest is Biddy Lee, an Armagh-based author who's lived in Canada, South Africa, Paris, and California, before settling back in her hometown of Armagh in Northern Ireland. Her first novel, March to November, was written while she was living in California and actually helped her ease her homesickness. Biddy's Rejuvenation Trilogy has been rated one of the best lockdown reads of the year by the Belfast Telegraph. She's also published flash fiction and short stories and is the co-founder of the spoken word event Flash Fiction Armagh. Biddy has written, co-written I should say, the play Impact, Armagh's train disaster with Malachy Kelly and Tim Hanna. Plus she teamed up with the guys again to write and stage on Zoom, Zoomio and Juliet and Social bu- Bubble, Trial and Trouble. Biddy, you're so welcome. It's a delight to have you here today.
2: Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. It's so exciting.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And we're recording this because, of course, we're, we'll probably broadcast this in February of 2021, but we're recording this on the 14th of January. I'm doing this uh, purely for the fact that we're, we're in the third lockdown uh, obviously where you are in Northern Ireland just to just for people to be aware of that because of course we're going through a very historic moment uh, terrible terrible times obviously but at least we're very lucky that we're creative people and we're we're getting the best out of that biddy I know you're used to people being fascinated about where you were born. We had a bit of a giggle about that before our chat today and you spent the first four years of your life there. Now I just can't resist starting off with that. Go on, Biddy, tell us all about those formative years.
2: Okay. So, um, So I was born on a first people's reservation, uh, Wickwimacong, unceded reservation in Manitoulin Island in Canada. I actually wasn't born on the island. My parents were living on the island. I was born in a hospital in a town nearby, but um, I lived on the island um, in the reservation for the first four years of my life until my parents moved back to Ireland. And um, people are very, very curious about it. And unfortunately, I don't, feel that I justify the curiosity because I don't remember enough about it to be able to, you know, to recount great tales from it. So that's where I I feel sort of a bit embarrassed by it all.
1: But you have some little vague memories. I mean, I know you were, you would have been obviously only four years of age. So it is such, you know, such very early years, but little vague memories about the reservation, how you were treated there. How was Canada compared to Ireland? Because, of course, that was going to be quite a dramatic difference uh, when you went back there at the age of four.
2: Yeah. Um, so, it, it you know, my memory of it is that the island was really progressive, you know, they had, um, we had a lovely, um, now I, I've since been back and it isn't as, as big in, as it was in my memory, but I, I, felt like we lived in a lovely big house <laughs> and, and, um, but, uh, they, I can remember the layout of the house really clearly and, and, you know, details like that. Um, I went to nursery school and we had, um, a tunnel between the story room and the and the nap room, and you got snacks and, and that in the nap room, and then you lay down and slept, you know, and things like that. Little snapshots of memory like that, um, and then coming coming to our so and uh, another thing, my I don't remember this, but my mum would always say that they had um, a wash an automatic washing machine and a tumble dryer, which people here didn't have in the early seventies. They would have maybe at best had a twin tub, you know.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
2: But my biggest thing was, because <laughs> these things are so important, uh, My uh, the TV, the TV that we had in Canada was a colour TV. And I can remember watching Sesame Street on the colour TV in Canada and then coming to Ireland and uh, people only had black and white TVs here at the time. So that was that was pretty huge. Um For me, on a personal level, so it's all very superficial things. You know, it's not the deep and meaningfuls, but um, that's a four-year-old's perspective, I suppose.
1: Of course. And tell me something, Biddy. You know, we haven't met each other in person for the obvious reasons of me being in Spain and and you're there in Northern Ireland and we're in the middle of of a pandemic. But how do you have any memories of how the the native people on the reservation were with this curly, blonde-haired... (laughs)
2: Well, it's what's funny is that I didn't even have the curly blonde hair at that stage. Ah. I was (laughs) was bald until I was three. And um, and then my hair came in in really fine wisps uh, of of sort of frizzy little curls close to my head and very blonde, you know. So from a distance, I still looked quite bald. And and in fact, even when I was about sort of five or six and my hair was still quite thin and and fair and my mother thought there might be something wrong with me, she took me to the doctor and then realized that he hadn't much hair either and she was going to get no ampoule there. But um, (laughs) he had a better excuse than me, of course. But... I, but I do know, like, I have reconnected through the miracle of, of social media with some of the, the, the children who, were, you know, they're now grown up, obviously, uh, but the people who are my age um, from mm-hmm. the reservation, you know, and the thing that they would say is that they thought that we were incredibly cute because remember, we were in the minority, you know, and it was quite a multicultural, uh, um, you know, community as well i mean there was us from ireland there was a family from uh, new zealand and mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the wee boy was the same age as me and he had straight blonde hair he actually had hair and then, um, and then there was, uh, there was a, a family from taiwan and they had twin i think twin girls and about my age and that so um but you know, uh, we were. You know, my sister and I were considered to be really cute and everything. And and I think a lot of that was because we were so different from mm-hmm. you know, children with their beautiful straight, thick black hair and and you know, um and their lovely skin color and everything. And we were we were just. We, I feel like we must look like such oddities, you know, especially when we're <laughs> you know. But
1: yeah, that's um, that's that's funny. I mean, one of the things that I'm sure listeners are going to be curious. Okay, that's all fascinating. And but how was it that you were on the reservation? Of course, we, <laughs> should, we should fill in that gap, shouldn't we?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that I, I, there was a there was a I think it was the Jesuit um, ministry there, and they had, um, they they had uh, sponsored, I suppose, as, or you know provided, um. Uh, you know education and health care to some degree on the reservation so my my dad was a teacher and my mom was a nurse and so they went out and worked in that capacity but I all I I do know that it's through the Jesuits and it's a disgrace I should know all these details you know but you know how family folklore is and you you kind of gloss over the 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 details like that because you want to get to the good bits (laughs) so you start to forget them but yeah uh, yeah I think it they went out it was the Jesuit order that had them um, placed. And then when, when they're out there, uh, they, um, because they were, they were white people, they couldn't, mm-hmm. obviously they couldn't own any of the, you know, the land. And, and I think even that's in their society as well. They're with the first people, they don't own land as such, you know, and everybody gets what they need um, mm-hmm. according to what the band council decides or whatever. So um so, mom and dad were allocated, you know, um, housing and everything. And, and they were very well received and taken care of and welcomed. And, you know, in years gone by, when I've gone back to the reservation, it's felt like a homecoming. You know, they, they welcome me like long lost family. It, it, it's amazing. You know, it really is.
1: Well, that's absolutely lovely. And can you describe, Biddy, how it is visually? Because I can't, I don't know the area and presumably lots of listeners don't.
2: So, Manitoulin Island is... Um, the, the the largest freshwater lake in the world and it's in lake huron in canada mm-hmm. in the great lakes of canada and um and it, it is a beautiful now it's it's fairly flat they wouldn't have hills like uh, you know even as as undulating as we have here in in our in ma um mm-hmm. but it wouldn't you know and definitely wouldn't be up on the scale of big mountains and whatnot but um but it's heavily forested and mm-hmm. um you know it it is beautiful and uh, I kind of always think of my dad would have sometimes have gone hunting and that with, with the natives, you know, and um, with the people there. And uh, you know, there's photographs and, and that of and and cine cameras. You know, he had a wee cine camera as well, so he has some some pictures of it. So a lot of forest, um, beautiful clear lakes, lakes actually on the island as well as the island being in a lake itself. Um and you know you'd have had that maple color in the in the autumn time you know the beautiful red leaves and mm-hmm. and that so it really is a, it is a beautiful um part of the world now the land wouldn't have been probably very good for farming which is probably why it was allocated to the first nations you know um mm-hmm. but uh and then the biggest city nearby is Sudbury. And it would have, it's a, it's a nickel mining capital. So it's, it's not a pretty city, you know, from that perspective, but the the landscape
1: is beautiful. Okay. Okay. So such an interesting place to have started life, even though, as you say yourself, you feel like, you know, the memories aren't as dramatically meaningful, but for sure it got right in, in somehow or other into your subconscious, I imagine.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I think even just this, um, I I think you know I know that when we came back, and my family would have had a certain perspective of of uh, the colonization of North America, for example, mm-hmm. and um, we you know we would have watched the cowboy movies, and we weren't shouting for the cowboys, you know. <laughs> so um, we you know are we we I I I, I like that it gave us that broader. Uh, view of of how people around the world were treated during colonizations for example
1: mhm that's that's very important obviously now after a start in life like that Biddy, living abroad uh, and then of course living abroad later in life how do you perceive the role of place in your life and in your creative output
2: it it filters into every aspect of of what you're doing you know even if you're not being creative but in terms of like I know for, for me, the, the creativity, it's I, just even when you travel, you know, it it it, it, it broadens your outlook on mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing, you know. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, we, we had lived in California for eight years and we'd gotten very used to life in California. And then we moved to Paris and um, mm-hmm. we moved in October. And I felt at that point that the that the climate, that the temperature outside was nearly like a personality. You know, I would wake <laughs> up in the morning and I'd be thinking about, you know, I'd have to go out to get, you know, groceries or whatever. And I'd be planning, you know, I need to wear this coat and I need to wear that. You know, and I, and I, I wasn't any, in any way prepared at all for the winter weather in, in you know, Central Europe after living in such a warm climate, you know.
1: Yeah, and, I can imagine.
2: Yeah. You know, so so even that was an element so you know you have the, the climate of the place that you're living in really bears heavily upon how you perceive where you are the people of the place and and then of course the climate of of course will affect the the you know the the vegetation the landscape in that respect but then there's other things like is it mountainous is it you know is there is there a coastline or what you know and all that play, it's all it all plays into how you perceive the place and your place within it, and how you interact with it.
1: Definitely, definitely, and of course, the food as well is another is another aspect, Absolutely. isn't it?
2: Yeah, that, definitely. Although I suppose we cheat a little bit nowadays with food in that you can even in mind you can get great like Indian food, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, we obviously we're living in different days, and in that sense, of course, we're talking yeah. pre pre-lockdown and post-lockdown when, yeah. when I might make that comment. Um, so which places, Biddy, are important to you and your creativity and why? And I'm talking about just a very quick synopsis of each of those places.
2: Um, I suppose, you know, everywhere is to some degree, but the most important place I suppose is home. And um and, and that really came to the fore when I was in California and I was writing. Um, about home and Belfast is my you know it, it certainly was for the, uh, the longest time my second home and my first home of homes is is of course Armagh and um, and I find that when I write about Armagh I feel like I write with great tenderness you know and mm. um, and you know Belfast is is to me Belfast was like um, nearly like I was a teenager when I went to Belfast and I felt like Belfast in those days, so this was like late 80s, um, it nearly was like a teenager in and of itself in that it was just kind of learning to recognise itself, you know, in terms of going out. There was only a certain, there was the Golden Mile at that stage. And, you know, that was that was kind of like from the city centre south um, into the university area, you know. And um, it, it wasn't a huge area but uh, not compared to what Belfast is. Now, Belfast has really grown up. To me, Belfast is now in its 30s, you know, so the timeline's maybe a little bit <laughs> not quite, but it's like, it's more like a person in their 30s, they're more sure of themselves, they like their culture, they like their, you know, their nice coffees, they like their their trendy bars. Whereas, you know, when I was there, Belfast was a city that was just figuring out who it was.
1: Fascinating. Fascinating because, yeah, I never thought of comparing it in one or two of the other uh, recent interviews that I've been recording. I've been asking the guests to compare Belfast in in at least one instance Mm -hmm. to a lover or a partner (laughs) (laughs) rather than, you know, rather than an age group, which is fascinating that you Mm -hmm. actually come in with that. That's another way, a totally uh, another way to look at it. Of course it is. Um, So look. We, you know, I've mentioned the pandemic more than once, but mm. we, know that we know that we're recording during this, this historic and very, very difficult time. Imagine if tomorrow you were told that out of the places that are very important to you, you can only be in one place. Which place would it be, Biddy, and why would you choose it?
2: Do you know, I have said this so many times since the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I am so glad I'm here. And that, that, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. Um, Absolutely. We're, you know, I mean, I, I mean and, I, and I'm still in very regular contact with my friends in California. And, you know, I know that they have a lot more in terms of maybe vast vista to their disposal, you know, in terms of the mountains and that. Um, like their lockdown. Um, <laughs> we were just talking about this during the week. Their lockdown, you know, the furthest they can travel is... Um, oh, It's only what 150 miles, <laughs> <So laughs> kind of like Ooh, okay. Um, and then you're comparing that with down south where it's five kilometers, you know. Yes, so, yeah. um, but what I like about living in Armagh for the pandemic is that is what brought me back to Armagh in the first place is there's a very strong sense of community here. Um, mm-hmm. and this feeling that we're all we are, <clears throat> pardon me, we're all looking out for each other. And, and I like that there's a closeness to that um which of course in this pandemic a closeness can be a good thing or a bad thing, but I mean that in the, in the best way and, sure um and and I think you know climate wise I mean okay, we don't have the, the the lovely hot summer days that you know that California has all year round but um we got we had enough of a summer this year to, to satisfy that and this winter we've had, Little snippets of of frosty cold days, but like I was out this morning for my walk, and it was a beautiful morning, you know, good, so and good. it's January, so you know so we're lucky that way um so yeah i I and 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 just i yeah the small scale as well of ma is nice because i can I can walk out of my home and and be in fields in in a matter of minutes, you know, so that's nice, whereas if you were stuck in a really urban area, that would be a lot more challenging.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally get that as well. So let's return to Ireland, Biddy, of 1973, (laughs) which would have been the year that you and your parents came back home. What kind of childhood memories do you have of Armagh? and how was that, uh, impact for you as a, as a younger person?
2: Um, well, it's, so 1973, we lived right in the center of Armagh in Marcus Street, and, um, I think sometimes my childhood memories of Arma can sound rather shocking but to us again it's all about what your what your normal is you know and unfortunately our normal was the troubles and mm-hmm. um, but I do remember uh, you know an example of this is I remember um, we we th- had a siren on the top of the cath- on, on the top sorry of the old uh, library in the, the in market street and it when it went off i mean it would have lifted you out of your skin you know mm-hmm. and okay. um, so we were quite <clears throat> pardon we were quite used to um the siren going off and maybe even being evacuated from the house and having to stand at the top of the street because I don't really know what the difference really was in that, but and and witnessing um, bombs going off and 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 or the fallout of the bombs afterwards and the fires and whatnot, and I mm-hmm. and I at a certain age, you know, um, even remember being there was a, you know it, you know there was a bomb in the in the street next street over. It was it was um, there was no warning given for it, and I remember seeing the ground left uh you know like the whole the, just the whole place sort of shifted to one side with this blast you know and for me it was like I, you know i was lucky in that i was able young enough and and naive enough to be able to look at those things through a lens of curiosity like it was oh my goodness what what caused that to happen you know mm-hmm. and my parents were very very clever in how they dealt with it too because i remember that i had reported seeing a a man with blood all down his face and um, my cousin at the same time she had um she was only a wee babe in arms and she had gotten a a little cut on her forehead from flying glass and my dad had taken her to the hospital so later on he said oh I saw that man in the hospital he had the same thing that your cousin had one a wee cut like that can just you know have a lot of blood and he was fine you know
1: oh good okay so yeah, I was
2: traumatized by that, you know.
1: Right, yeah. But
2: years later, I found out that it, that, that wasn't true. But, sure, I know, but
1: dealing yeah. with children, certainly I think that was the intelligent yeah. approach by your parents. And, yeah. you know, you're not the first person also, Biddy, uh, from some of the guests that I've had on for this first season, you know, who did grow up during the troubles, either in Belfast or other areas that were affected. Mm-hmm. That um, Talk about the curiosity element because, of of course, just their own way of perceiving it and perhaps been encouraged, as you say, by your parents, you know, mm-hmm. to, to have a certain attitude. So it's, it is very interesting, you know, for somebody like myself, obviously I grew, grew up in Dublin, you know, being very aware of the troubles, but of course mm-hmm. not being in the area where they were directly happening, you know, tell me something, Biddy, which of your works, if any, can you connect with, with, with these early memories?
2: I've, I've not really funny. I've, I've kind of worked against the idea of, of addressing the troubles at all in my work because i i've never wanted the world i want the world i don't mean i've never wanted but i i want the world to see this part of the world um for other things than just the troubles you know Mm -hmm. so for example my book march to november um, it, it's set sort of in the late nineties ish, and um, and so we don't really need to talk about the troubles I feel. Um, and then I have a little piece here. Um, you had asked for a little reading, and um, and it's just it's it's the more it's the softer element of of growing up in the nineteen seventies in Arma you know. Um right. and and I think that if you take if you can kind of separate out the troubles and those very kind of like. Um, stark images. Um, it's 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 like everybody else's childhood. The things that are important to you are the people who love you and the, the the fun that you have with them and the things that they say to you. You know,
1: absolutely. So, yeah. So would you like would you like to read that passage? Oh, out? oh right. Yes, I'll do that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Betty.
2: So this is called. I've just called it Market Street. Hmm. Market Street, my childhood playground in the mid-70s, where blunted pyramidal bollards arose from an expanse of black tarmac, like giant concrete icebergs, iron bars strung between them as if to stop them from floating off, an instant gymnasium where my sister and I tumbled and hung from our knees, the smooth metal biting cold against bare skin in the winter, silky in the summer. We'd skip down the hill to the library, plod back up clutching our books. The siren blare from the top of the library made my insides shrivel and my skin loosened as though I might slide out of it. In autumn, leaves piled in musty copper heaps along the cathedral rails at the top of the street. My father often recounted the story of being a little boy with his head stuck in those same railings. He marvelled at how the firemen had lifted him bodily up and turned him so that he could push his head out face first, the same way he'd gone in, the ears like a one-way valve. Dad grew up on that street too. Every crack in the pavement and brick in the walls came with a story. When he walked us to school, my short legs trotted three steps for every stride he took. His warm hand holding mine, Often our breath hung before our faces as we made our way along Castle Street, him telling stories, me asking questions. Some mornings the sky behind the old windmill on the far hill blushed as pink as our cheeks in the sunrise. On other mornings that hill could be lost in the fog obscuring the view of our school. On those occasions Dad would stop, give my hand a squeeze and say, Oh no, the school's gone. We'll have to go home. I'd giggle at his silliness and play along. But we always kept walking towards the school, for we both knew it was still there, even if we couldn't see it. So that's it. (laughs) I love that. That's absolutely wonderful, Biddy. Thank (laughs) thank you so much.
1: Um, Tell me something. At what age did you notice, or did you notice, um, that you had a special interest in, in reading or writing do you have any memories of that? <laughs>
2: yes, um, I remember uh, the first sort of book I read, Cover to Cover, was Famous Five Golden Mystery Moor mm-hmm. <laughs> by Ina <Anna> Blyton. <laughs> and, um, <Yeah. laughs> and, and I remember at the end of the book just feeling bereft, you know, that that I didn't have these five friends in my life or four and dog all, uh, friends in my life anymore. And uh, I was so glad that there were more, you know, Famous Five books so that I could meet up with them again, you know. Um, so, so that was my first sort of um, memory of, uh, of, of reading. And then in terms of, of writing, um, we went to Dublin one year and uh, Oliver Twist was on in um, the Gaiety Theatre. And mm-hmm. we managed to get sort of last minute tickets and you were up in you know the box on the side, you know, like the, the, the men in uh, the Muppet Show you sit in, you know. Yeah, I remember <laughs> and, of course. Yeah. so you were sitting up in this box and you it was such a great view of the stage and I just loved the the you know the the play or the musical. And so I and I would have been in first year at school at this stage, and I came back and I started writing plays. And um, really, yeah, wow! So right now there were all ripoffs of Oliver Twist. you know the complete plagiarism. You know, but there was all the same storyline, and you had like the posh, the posh lady, and the and the naughty child. You know, and all this. So. Um, but I would write these plays and I would take them to my, uh, the vice principal, and she would allow me to um, get my friends together and rehearse them in the hall at lunchtime. And then, with a view to putting them on, you know, maybe on a mm-hmm. Friday, you know, at lunchtime and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and my poor friends were so strong armed into, <laughs> into being in these plays. <laughs> so when I told them I was starting to play, right, again, they all ran a mile. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But that was that was quite encouraging of the of the vice principal was she or he the main person who encouraged your creativity at that time or were there others
2: he really was great because i mean I, you know there was a lot going on in those days just with in people's you know lives outside of work and school and so um yeah i mean um Yes, yeah, that was Mrs. Daly and um, I still see her and she's just uh, adorable. I still love her to bits. And um she's um I even named one of the teachers in March to November Mrs. Daly <laughs> in honor really? of Mrs. Daly. But um, she, must, she must be honored. <laughs> I don't know, but I hope so, you know, I hope she realizes that I've done it with the with the, the, the you know, to, to in that for that purpose, you know. But um, no, she was lovely and 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 encouraging, and it was it was nice to have that um, and not be sort of told to go in and you know catch yourself on or anything like that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And our English teachers, my English teachers were good. Sister Smith was good as well. She kind of would have encouraged me to write as well, you know. Okay. Um that's that's obviously once you ha- I think once you have
1: even one or mm-hmm. obviously two is, is is pretty good at that age because it could work out the opposite if your work has been put down by somebody, you know. Yeah. So that you lose you know what I mean, you lose the the initial uh, Thrills of yeah. that creativity of that young creativity you know
2: yeah well although, although I, I kind of then I, I sort of shot my own self in the foot in that I was very drawn to um biology and science and and it was a bit of a you know so I kind of gave up the the English side of things you know in, in terms of English um you know subject wise and still loved reading and that but um I did then you know sort of focus on biology that was my mm-hmm. that's what I did my degree in that in and and we're going to come to this a bit
1: later in our chat, but do you think that plays any part? Just just hold on to this question. We won't do it now. Okay. <laughs> Is can we relate that to the re, re, try try that again rejuvenation trilogy <laughs> at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, we'll go there a little bit later. So, going back to your childhood, did you spend uh, any time away on holidays in any places that that would have had an impact on you?
2: Do you know, it's funny you should say that because um, I'm going to go back to something that you said about, you know, like getting encouragement um, and, you know, creatively and, and that. So, mm-hmm. yes, we would have always gone to, you know, there wasn't an awful lot of disposable income in those days. So camping, we were a family who camped and um, and it was such a treat. You know, it was great because once the tent was blown down in a storm and we got to stay in a hotel one night. <laughs> <laughs> So, I was always hoping for more storms, but um, but uh, we we used to go to Tremor, and okay. um, there's a there's a place I don't even remember what the cove is called, we nicknamed it Prehistoric Cove, but it's it's along the coast from Tremor towards Cork, and um, when you go down to it, there's you know, you have like the the, the different, uh, you have the arches and the stacks and then you just have rocks in the sea sort of thing, you know. I, I, I have vague,
1: vague recollections, Biddy. Now, for, for listeners who are not Irish, Tremor is County Waterford, I'm I right? It is, yes. There Tremor you go. Is yeah. County
2: Waterford, yeah. yeah. So this is the south, the very south coast. And that was a long way to travel in those days. I mean, it took us five or six hours just to get there, maybe longer, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, some, and Daddy had a pickup truck and... <laughs> We used to put a mattress in the you know, you had a cover on it and like a canvas cover on it, and we'd put a mattress in it, and me and my sister would lie on this mattress and we'd be sco- you know, we'd be like, you know, don't don't be messing about and keep keep your head down and all. And like for nine hours in the back of this <laughs> books and you know of course no phones those days you know so you had your books and 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 snacks to eat and whatnot but we were we were we were wee monkeys because what we'd do is when we were going through dublin because it wasn't they didn't have the m50 around dublin and you had to go through dublin to get to waterford so we would we would stick our heads out the back (laughs) and wave at the cars behind us (laughs) you know sometimes you know in that in that back-to-back traffic you know um people would kind of jump out of their cars and give us snacks from their cars and we'd throw out, you know, snacks from ours, stupid <laughs> wow. things like that, you know Such But different um, times I know, totally, like now you're all strapped in and you know, you have to be, yeah so, um, but, we, but we would go to, we would go to this uh, this prehistoric cove and I, and I just thought it was amazing and I remember coming back to school after the summer holidays and we were told to draw something about you know our summer holidays, and I mm-hmm. painted what I thought was the prehistoric cove. And I, when I look back at it, it wasn't too far off it, you know. But it was there were very strange rock configurations. That's how we came up with the name. They looked like dinosaurs poking out of the water, and uh, and my art teacher laughed at it.
1: So, oh, oh.
2: <laughs> so I'm not an artist.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, but that that is terrible though, isn't it? But look, I'm teachers not- at the end at the end of the day, teachers, and particularly. Particularly as my memories of teachers at, in the convent school, going back to the same mm. kind of same time as yourself, Biddy, uh, you know they were normally very young, fresh women or yeah.
2: nuns, older nuns. So
1: yeah. you know they were only and humans. Was, was,
2: this was a male teacher, actually. This wow. my art teacher was a male teacher, and I don't know if that was if that played into his, you know, maybe him being a wee bit more. I don't know, maybe arrogant or something, do you know. But and, I'm, mm. and maybe I'm judging him, you know, harshly because I felt very bad about being laughed at. Um, <laughs> but he sort of said, you don't see rocks like that, mate. And you know, and I, I, I couldn't make him believe that that's what they looked like, you know. Mm.
1: Wow. Oh dear. That's a shame because really an art teacher should be absolutely, you know, free about the possibilities as to <laughs> art is all about perce- perception, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, I'm taking it, Biddy, you didn't feature this guy as as a character in your book then,
2: any of your books? Smell, you know, you never know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not as yet, but I popped the idea out there. <laughs> so listen, when you finish school, uh you mentioned before of course going to belfast and you know the, the 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 adventure of that you you were 18 weren't you and you went yeah. to queens what, yeah queens university in belfast tell me how that was of, of course it was like the big adventure you were dying to get out of armagh at that time how was it it, it? it was brilliant
2: yeah i was di- and i i have to admit um i was dying to get away you know i felt really um i had this big dream of 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 being like david attenborough <laughs> <laughs> and taking I wasn't going to be painting any pictures of wildlife. I left I was definitely going to do the photography side of it now after my experience with my art teacher but um, <laughs> but um yeah I was studying um biology and um I loved, you know, I, I I had this dream of traveling down the Amazon. And again, that was inspired by reading. I had read um, as an early, in my early teens, the Willard Price Adventure series. There were actually books for boys and there were about two zoologists who traveled around the world and, mm-hmm. and uh, picked up animals for their father's zoo. And, um, uh, you know, and, and it you know they're actually in terms of um environmentally friendly and their the thoughts you know i think these were written in the 50s even you know so they were completely way off base in terms of their you know political correctness and, and environmentally friendly aspects you know but it did it did inspire me i wanted to see the amazon i wanted to see mm-hmm. the amazon. so um and i did actually go to see the Amazon, but I was thirty before I got a chance to do that. And that was just like a sort of a two-stroke, three-week holiday trip that we yeah. managed to, to to do. But um but this whole the, the escaping to to Queens was a part of that. You know, it was one step closer to this dream of escaping to uh, somewhere tropical and warm and full of animals and wildlife, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, there was plenty of wildlife in Belfast, mind you. Um but <laughs> <laughs> So do you think that was of our own making um yeah. so uh yeah um so it was it was a great it was great it was a great place to start i think for me just mm-hmm. for me personally to start because it was a small enough city to not feel lost in it and and completely swallowed up in it um and 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 close enough to home, obviously to nip home and sure. um, of all that as well. You
1: know, yeah, sure. Okay, so you were you were studying biology. You mentioned. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? How, how was your career path once you left university?
2: So I I, uh, I studied biology and then I, I kind of drilled down into. There must have been. There's always been this thing about story. I love story. I love. I love. Uh, you know, the, the the lecturers who could tell the best stories were the lecturers that I would listen to, mm-hmm. and one of those lecturers in particular was called. Um, Jonathan Pilcher, and he he taught the um, and Mike Bailey, and they taught the, the uh, Woody Plants course, and a component of that was all about tree ring analysis and measuring tree rings, and it, it's 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 got a name; it's called dendrochronology. And so I chose that as my my honors project, and um, and it using uh tree rings, what you know, you can actually um construct. I get some idea of what past climate was like because mm-hmm. trees' rings, you know, reflect how happy the tree is to grow that particular year, how well it's growing that year. If conditions are right, it puts on a nice wide ring, and if the conditions aren't, the rings get narrow. And so, there, there is a tree ring, an oak tree ring chronology that goes back 7,000 years from the present day. And I was Part, so, so that was that was happening while I was a, a, an undergrad. And then um, as soon as I graduated, a job came up in the department and, mm-hmm. um, and I was very lucky and very well placed and managed to get that job. And so the first three years after uh, university, I worked in Queens then on the three ring chronology um, that, that we were putting together at the time. It sounds,
1: it sounds really fascinating. And that was that was very lucky for a student just coming out of uni. Oh,
2: fantastic. You know, and just even just to be on a proper wage. And back in those days, um, one in 10 people were unemployed, graduates, sure. you know. Yeah. So to, to have a wage and to be able to live here and have a wage, you know, because most people were getting their degree and heading off to other countries, you know. So yeah. it was great. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you've had kind of a fairly, I I wouldn't like to call that a cushy, a cushy number, but that obviously sounded quite idyllic out of university. You're getting (laughs) your wage, you're doing something of interest, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, so what happened after that? You were there for just for did you say three well, it was, years. Too? It was
2: a three year contract, and then uh-huh. um, and during that time, I also did a, a, a master's degree in computer science because you know this whole computers were so new. So This is nineteen ninety three, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that, and mm-hmm. um, and then I came out. So I came out with my deg- master's degree roughly around the same time as my contract finished. So I was back out looking for a job again, and the best I could do was find a job working to sell computers in macro oh. in Murray okay so that um doesn't, that doesn't sound quite <laughs> as glamorous as your tree ring chronology job it really wasn't uh, it really wasn't um it wasn't it wasn't as good a money either um, but it wasn't um it wasn't ideal um and it was it was a hard you know retail is a Really hard. I, mean, I have so much respect for anybody in the retail sector, especially sure. now, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, and always at Christmas, I always feel so sorry for them because I know what that's like, you know, but yeah. um, but I was working there for a while and um, and then, it, you know, just different ones were talking to me about how there wasn't very many, um, they were finding it really difficult to get science substitute teachers and, and that, so I thought, oh, well, I'll have a go at that and at that you know you could substitute you could be a substitute teacher without having your teacher diploma if you like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you had a degree so um I sat down with my dad and he basically gave me you know like the the, the, the 101 and teaching and classroom discipline and everything I learned more from him in a, in a two-hour telephone call you know than I did um you know maybe you know for like half a year at a teacher training in college you know but um but I did. I taught for. I so I got. Um, I I got into uh, teaching that way. I, so I started just doing supply teaching, and then getting you know sort of like a day here and there and then, oh, a two week post here. And then, and then I got a, a longer post down in Banbridge, which actually extended nearly for a year and a half um, going in for, you know, different ones. So, um, and then I got onto the PGCE and did my teacher training. And then when I came out of that, I was um, in St. Genevieve's in Belfast for a year. And then I got my permanent post in Rathmore Grammar School, and that just saved the deal for me and my love of teaching. But I, I, I loved it at that stage too. But Rathmore was just, a, it was teacher heaven. I mean, we talked about it in... Um, Teacher training about schools like Rathmore and St Dominic's—they were teacher heaven, and they Rathmore really was teacher heaven. You know? Okay, so why? Because Biddy, really most
1: people won't know Rathmore oh, and why yeah. it was like yeah. that. Tell, tell so, us about so that. So
2: Rathmore was—it's—it's it's, it's a grammar school in Belfast, and um, but what made it teacher having heaven was that the, the staff were amazing. The staff were amazing, um, and the support for, you know within the staff from management was amazing. It was really good um and the kids were, were super we were you know it was it's one of the top still is one of the top um five schools and and so it was you know it's on the top of everybody's list you know in terms of uh, you know kids getting wanting to go there you know so you they were getting the best kids as well you know um so it, it was just it's was it, but there was a great ethos in the school you know
1: yeah. So what were you actually teaching? Were you teaching a variety of subjects, Pity? No, or, biology. Or just yeah.
2: Biology and chemistry, actually. Yeah. Biology and yeah. chemistry. Yeah.
1: Okay. 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 So you were, you were lucky. <laughs> We've got yeah. your career up, to, career up to the point of the setting of the, setting of the computers, obviously, you know, no, not your glamorous. One. But apart from that, you did quite well. But then when you were in your early thirties, something prompted you to go off on an adventure. What happened at that stage?
2: Well, at that stage, um, I was married at that stage and that marriage um, didn't work out. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to too much detail on that. Nope. okay. Um, but, uh, you know, those things where they say that people's names have been changed to protect the innocent. Well, this is, this is a, maybe a case of protecting the not so innocent, but yeah, okay. no. <laughs> um, we're, uh, so, you know, the, at that stage as well, I had been teaching for five years um and i was allowed you know you're allowed to apply for a what's the word uh sabbatical, sabbatical or something yeah, yeah and yeah. so i thought it would be a good time for me to kind of you know touch base with myself again and mm-hmm. um and just figure out who i was and, and and what was going on with me and and so i applied for the sabbatical and i went off traveling for um well, initially, the sabbatical was for up to two years and I, I set off thinking I was going away for a year and I stayed away for the full two years you know and mm. my, well and the part of it was because I was born in canada um once i so I took an uh, around the world ticket and once I got as far as Canada, I could stay there for another year and work there, so of course. I, I applied um, and, and I wasn't just going to go off and travel like I was I, I applied for a dolphin and whale project in South Africa now and, I'm very envious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I went off to South Africa and um, I, I I worked on this dolphin whale project for um, well the project itself was three months but I was in South Africa for a total of, of 10 months and um and then we i moved on from there and i did and and while i was in south africa i learned how to scuba dive and i have to say that was amazing that was like falling in love you know it was just an amazing experience i loved the scuba diving i can i can imagine
0: as jackie just couldn't stop asking questions this interview has been split into a few episodes be sure to check out the next one the link is below we hope you enjoyed this episode of the creative places and faces podcast If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.